Welcome to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Collins of Over the Monster for episode 92 of the podcast. Matt, uh, we officially have more wins for the Red Sox than we have uh, podcasts that we've ever recorded, so that's pretty sweet. I guess we just need to record every day now. That's right. Got to get to uh, 116 here. Um, so... You've had this mantra all year, and you wrote about it today, and I kind of wanted to unpack it a little bit because I think it's a pretty good one, but you've just been kind of tweeting whenever the team does something ridiculous, this team, and you wrote about it today, so what's this whole thing mean when you say this team, and why is this team in particular just like so different from other Red Sox teams that you've watched before? It's kind of hard to put it into words because it's just like – like you feel it when it's happening. Like yesterday, the Braves come back probably two days ago for people listening. Um, you could kind of feel – like they were down 7-1. But by the time they got that third single to start that inning, it kind of already felt like, all right, well, they're going to like make a major comeback in this inning. And, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to feel that way about any team. We've just seen them make those kind of comebacks so many times. Um, and, I mean, we've said a lot. Even last year I said a lot that you couldn't count that team out. And, I mean, that team was great at coming back. But this team is – I've never seen anything like this, and I don't think I'll ever see anything like it again. Um, I was talking to somebody else today, and I was trying to describe the team – in terms of like previous Red Sox teams. And what I'm about to say is absurd and hyperbolic and sets ridiculous expectations. And I don't want it to sound like that, but it's just the best way I can describe the team. It's like the 2007 talent level where you just feel like it's just absolutely loaded and they've gone wire to wire just like that team did. And it's also like the 2013 team where it seems like they caught every break and they just had something magical going on and it's just like those two forces together and it's absolutely absurd i have no idea if it's gonna last i mean i even wrote that in the post that some of this it's undeniable that some of this is just fluky and it's you don't know if it's gonna run out at any point but for as long as it's lasting i don't really know what else to do but just like sit back and hot like yesterday's game was just it was bananas i didn't know how to react that was insane yeah they really had no business uh, coming back against They didn't even team. try to win that game. No, look at the lineup. I mean, it was... And they were facing Fultonovich. I mean, the Braves' best pitcher against the Red Sox' worst pitcher in, like, two regulars in the starting lineup. It was absurd. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And uh, when, you, when you made that comparison, I had always – I guess when I think about this Red Sox team, I had always thought of them as more analogous to the 07 team just because they've been a complete wagon. But – I think you're right about the fact that they do have that sort of X factor, that swag, that likability too, that just like is so much more similar to the good vibes that were put out by that 13 team. Because all of the championship teams are different, right? And like none of them's ever going to be as good for me personally as like 04. But all those different runs felt different for their own reason. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, they have the fun, good feels, and they're just an absolute monster of a club that, you know, as deep as we've tried to dive here this year, uh, it's been very difficult to find anything that they don't do well. So, uh, And even, even when – this is another point I was trying to make that post, that even there are times where parts of the roster aren't doing well and just other parts of the roster that had been struggling, as soon as another part starts, they just pick it up and – they pick up the rest of the team and it's like it feels like that can't last forever but at the same time only needs to last another what six weeks right so i don't see why it can't i never thought i would see a team that i thought was as good as 2007 i thought that would be the best red sox team i ever saw and uh i think i mean obviously they probably have to win the world series if you really want to put them there but in terms of like pure talent and just like running through the league this team's better yeah, I think especially when you look at the starting lineup for this team, you just have so many dudes that are having either the the best year of their career or 
at times the best month of their career or just like snapshots where they're being the best that they personally have ever been. You know, just going down the list, there's the obvious guys, Betts, Benintendi, uh, Bogey having the best seasons of their career. Leon's probably calling the best games of his career, playing the best defense. Nunez, I mean, what we've seen out of him defensively at third base the last couple weeks, and he's been much better offensively as well. I mean, you could argue that he's playing one of the better stretches of baseball that he's had in his career as well. Kinsler's defense is still good. Moreland had that monster first half making the all-star team. Uh, Steve Pierce, I think, is swinging the bat better than he's ever done. And quietly, JBJ has just shut everybody up in the second half of the season by being a really solid bat in addition to everything else. So not even looking at the pitching side of things. It's Did you even mention JD? No, I, I didn't. Even I didn't yeah. mention JD. Yeah. I mean, JD is the most ridiculous example, maybe. It's just uh, it's it's crazy how many of these guys are just doing stuff when they need to do it and at the level they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm just trying to enjoy every second of this because I don't know how long it's going to last, and I don't know how it's possible that I'm ever going to see another Red Sox team like this, even if they run it back next year. I mean, we're not going to see this again. No, no, this is this is special. So everybody out there, soak it up. That was sort of the mantra of last week's podcast, too. Enjoy this thing because it is unique. Um, moving on, though. I want to talk about what the Red Sox chose not to do. So they chose not to add anybody at the waiver trade deadline, uh, August 31st. Um, When we were on the podcast two weeks ago, Matt, I think we discussed that uh, there wasn't really anybody out there who was realistically going to get to them, you know, through waivers because they had to, you know, pass through all these different teams, basically every team, before they can make it to the Red Sox. Um, And they didn't make a move. But I thought what was more interesting about them not making a move was Dombrowski's comments where he kind of intimated that um, they didn't need anybody and that uh, he he did kind of uh, put down a little bit some of the names that have been traded. Um, And I I don't know if you saw that comment, but he basically said that, um, you know, guys that had been traded weren't delivering the sort of impact that – that I think he thinks that fans were expecting there. And um, when you dig into the numbers, it doesn't seem like that's actually true. And um, Tomasi did an interesting article at WEI where he looked at the 20 uh, relievers that were traded uh, from the beginning of the year all the way till the waiver trade deadline. And um, nine of those 20 guys, uh, according to Tomasi, had a 2.60 ERA or lower with their new team. So clearly there were some guys out there that could have helped the club. I wonder who those were, though. I didn't read the article, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, some of the names were, were guys like Familia and Presley and, you know, some of the bigger name guys. But some of them were more fringe guys that I think the Red Sox could have easily had as well. I'll try to bring up the article while well, you're think... talking about it. but Well, my point was going to be that the fringe guys wouldn't have been the people that wouldn't have been the guys that people wanted anyways. But that Familia and Presley are on that list. I think it's kind of damning. I was going the other way with it. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think when he was saying that he was talking mainly about Britain, because it felt like that was the guy that everybody wanted. And he's kind of been right. Very mediocre at best. Yeah, I I mean, some of the names that he pointed out um, in the article, because I did bring it up right here. um, O from um, Toronto has a uh, 184 ERA in Colorado since making that move over. Familia's got a 257 ERA. Presley's got a 132. Uh, Diekman's been pretty serviceable at a 368, so not great there. Um, You know, so a few of those other guys, but I guess... The tone of the article was just that, like, why not take a flyer, I think is what what I got from it. Like, why didn't Dombrowski – why do you think Dombrowski felt like he didn't even need a lottery ticket? Because one of these guys, you know, maybe maybe they don't work out like like most of the, the guys that were traded, about half of them that were traded. But maybe they do, and they deliver that sort of added punch to the team. So why do you ultimately think they decided not to do that? Well, I think 
I mean, I should say, first of all, that I did think that they should add somebody, so I don't want to make it sound like I didn't, but I think that Dombrowski is serious, first of all, about rebuilding the farm system. Um, he's mentioned that a few times, and he's kind of putting his money where his mouth is in that regard. So I don't think, I think that's why he didn't go after any of the big names. I think he didn't feel that they were as good as the prices they were asking for. It really seemed like it was Herrera or bust for him. And obviously that was a bust. Um, I feel like he didn't go after any of the smaller guys because I think he, at least at the time, really liked their middle relief and didn't want to push anybody out for a new face that hadn't been with the group the whole time. Um, again, I don't think that's how I would have done it, but that would be my guess as to why he did it, I guess. And as far as the waiver goes, like you said, I just don't think they could have gotten anybody. I mean, they could have gotten, like, Luis Avila, and I think there was another lefty that made it through that they didn't pick up. But for the most part, I mean, anybody who anybody would have wanted wasn't going to make it to the Red Sox. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on the waiver thing. I, I do think that if that's the reason why Dombrowski didn't pursue anybody bigger, like a Ryan Presley-type guy who I know you were clamoring for and who's been amazing with the Astros – I just I, I really believe that when your team is on a pace like this, and we're talking about it in terms of you know the 07 team and 13 team combined together into one juggernaut here, like a once in a lifetime type team, and you're thinking about rebuilding the farm instead of overpaying to get a guy like Ryan Presley. I mean, if they don't win the whole thing and it is because of relief, Dombrowski is really going to rue that decision. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's going to get a lot of heat for it, and he's yeah. going to deserve it. Yeah, but, I mean that's that's an unforgivable thing. I for think. sure. But I think I also think at the time the bullpen was looking a lot better than it is now, and I think there was reason to believe that. I mean Barnes, I'm still fine with Barnes. We'll probably get that later. But I mean I think there was reason to believe that they were fine. Um, but again, I thought they should have added somebody, and they didn't. And you're right. He's gonna he's gonna catch a lot of heat if the bullpen. Uh, ends up being the reason they get eliminated. Well, one of the things that I think could fix that is if he moves Eovaldi to the pen. And in my mind, I think he should do it now. Uh, Eovaldi's been kind of out of sorts as a starter recently. They're going to push him back a little bit and uh, hopefully that hope that some rest does him well. But the way that the Red Sox roster is right now with September call-ups, I just think they have a lot of guys who can start right now. And I think that ultimately... Evaldi's role, if he's on the playoff roster, which I expect him to be, is going to be out of the pen. So why not start transitioning him there right now so he gets used to the uh, experience of working out of the pen and you know maybe getting put in some high-leverage situations? We know that the rest of the schedule for the Red Sox uh, has some pretty big teams on it. Houston's starting tomorrow. Uh, the Yankees are coming up at the end of the year. Cleveland's going to be in here. I mean, they're playing some big teams, so... Why not make this move now? I mean, I think it's coming soon. Probably in like a week, maybe like two weeks before the playoffs. Um, I mean, I think you want to keep his confidence high and show that you still believe in him as a starter and like as a guy to get you to the playoffs. Um, I think that he would probably be a little upset to move to the bullpen so early just because he's a free agent next year, so he wants a chance to kind of turn around as a starter probably. Um, plus, I mean, you still want, you still have to fill out your rotation the rest of the year. I know they have like Cuevas and Velasquez and Johnson and those guys, but I think you give them another like two starts or so. And that still gives you 15 or so 14 games maybe to get him used to the bullpen role. So I don't think you really have to rush it that much. It's not, it's not a major adjustment or anything. Another guy who could be moving to the pen, though, is Stephen Wright. And since he's been called up, he's worked just a few times. But over the course of the season, um, he's got 17 outings out of the bullpen. And he's got a 2.12 ERA during that time period. Uh, Wright's been pretty good in limited uh, dosages, I guess. But I think there is something to this idea that Stephen Wright gives the team a different look. Because when you look at the bullpen... They've got a lot of hard-throwing righties there, and getting that different look from a guy like Wright could really throw off some teams. And I think it was a Dana Levangie quote that 
that basically said, yeah, there is something to that. He does give them a different look, but at the same time, he gives us an element of unpredictability um, because the knuckleball, you know, you know, <laughs> you've seen it blow up as many times as oh, anybody. Yeah. Um, but what do you think about the idea of him working out of the pen in the pull, in the uh, playoffs? Makes me nervous, but I don't know that they have a lot of better options. And if you're kind of pegging Avaldi for that later inning role, hoping his stuff ticks up, and you want somebody who can come in for a few innings if the starter gets shelled early, I think I'd probably have right rather have right in there than Johnson right now. Um, so I think you roll with it. I'm not really expecting him to be like I think some I forget who it was, but somebody wrote something saying like asking if he could be the eighth inning guy. Um, I think that's a little ridiculous, but I mean I think he I think that different look thing is something and if nothing else I have more faith in him as a long guy than any of the other options. Yeah, I really like him as a long guy, particularly if a starter gets bounced early. I think he's the type of guy that could come in and shut out a team for three, four innings if the knuckleball's working, and uh, that can do wonders to just keep a team in a playoff game. So I'm I'm with it because of that. Um, I would be horrified if he ended up being like any sort of a consistent eighth inning guy. Imagine yeah, that would having be to see bizarre. that every night. I can't imagine that's ever happened, has it? A knuckleballer, like a high-leverage knuckleballer. That's just actually. Can so. Wakefield close? Wakefield wake closed. Up? No, I'm. I was just about to say that. I'm 99% sure. Yeah, I lived through that. I don't know how I lived through that, but I did. <laughs> yeah, you got 15 saves in 1999. Jesus. Oh. Sure. Yeah, I was uh, luckily too young to understand the madness that was going that on. That was there. the first full baseball season I ever watched, so I didn't <laughs> really know what was going on. <laughs> Yeah, that's just uh, that's asking for it right there. That that's gonna come with a shot and a beer if you need to have that happen in a night. Playoff baseball is stressful enough. I don't need a knuckleball thrown into the mix in that kind of situation. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. So a, a lot of people have been talking about this online. Red Sox Twitter has been kind of alight with this since uh, the division's looking pretty well wrapped up and best records looking pretty well wrapped up for these guys. Um, they've been asking for the mock playoff roster, so what we think is going to happen. So I decided to take a stab at it tonight, uh, drew up my version of it with uh, also some notable omissions that I didn't have on the roster. But uh, here's the 25 I came up with. Um, so the, the starting lineup would be uh, Betts, Benintendi, JBJ, JD Martinez, Moreland, Kinsler, Bogey, Nunez, and Leon. Not in that order, obviously. Uh, I'd have the bench as Steve Pierce, Brock Holt, Raphael Devers, and Blake Swihart. Uh, the four starters would be uh, Sale, Price, Porcello, and Rodriguez for me. Do you have them in that order? Uh, I would have them in that order, yeah. To split uh, up the lefties or because you like Porcello better than Rodriguez? Um, just to split up the lefties. Fair enough. Uh, and then the bullpen um, here I had as Kimbrell. Barnes, Hembry, Eovaldi, Kelly, uh, Wright, Brazier, and Brian Johnson. Uh, the omissions that I had that were sort of, yeah, I think one, some of the bigger named omissions, uh, Drew Pomerantz, uh, Thornburg, uh, Velasquez, uh, Christian Vasquez not being on the roster, and then uh, Phillips, uh, who just was recently called up, uh, added him just because he's playing some pretty good baseball right now, so he could be a guy. Um, but I wanted to get your take on that roster and if you would have any changes to your 25, man. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much what I would have. Um, I was thinking about doing this post this weekend, so maybe now I won't. But uh, that's essentially what I would have. I don't think they're going to carry 12 pitchers. 11 pitchers is the norm. Um, just because you have one fewer starter, you don't really need an eight-man bullpen in my opinion. It's just, I don't know who the other position player would be. I've been thinking that it's kind of ridiculous that everybody's talking about Phillips on the playoff roster. But I don't know who else it would be. Right. I guess you could say Vasquez, but I don't really know why, why he would be there. I'd rather um, have Phillips than Vasquez at this point. I think I might too, but I kind of also think that I just saw Phillips at a game-winning home run, so I don't know if I'm like thinking clearly or not. I think Zue Lin is another guy 
as a late game defensive replacement, maybe at third base and pinch running running type. Maybe he could sneak in there as like a specialty player because playoff rosters are weird. Um, I'm not really sure who I think I would give that last spot to, but I definitely think it would be a position player rather than a pitcher. So let me let me uh, defend why I decided to to go with the extra pitcher here. The 2017 playoff roster for the Red Sox was constructed the way you were just talking about with the 11 pitchers. Um, I think there's just enough volatility in the group of four starters that I think we both agree on there with Sale, Price, Porcello, Rodriguez. I don't know that there is. Well, here's my here's my thinking. Sale is coming off the injury stuff. Hopefully that's a non-factor. Like, the reins are off in the playoffs. No no issues there. Price is prone to playoff blowups. And as much as I've been eating crow about Price uh, in the second half of the season, that's still a possibility. Porcello's given up more long balls than anyone else on the team, so I could see them having a quick hook there. And then Rodriguez is also an injury question all the time. So I think that's the reason why I thought that it would be kind of a luxury for this team to be able to have two guys in Wright and Johnson who could throw multiple innings in addition to Eovaldi who can go multiple innings. Uh, I just thought it would give a little bit more of uh, versatility and protection to this team. I guess, but I mean, if you're worried about injuries, you can just add somebody after somebody gets hurt. Um, I don't think that's a major concern. I'm not as concerned as you about Price. I've seen too much from him. Um, I mean, obviously, that's going to be in the back of my mind, and I would be totally shocked if he imploded. But I wouldn't make roster decisions based on that. Yeah. And I have no... I have, I feel silly for saying this, but I have no worries about Eduardo Rodriguez. Like, I think he might be inefficient, and maybe he'll only give you, like, four and two-thirds, but in the playoffs, that's all you really need. Right. From a starter. Like if you if you give me four and two thirds of great baseball, I'll take that every time, and I think that's what Rodriguez can excel at. So Porcello, I have major questions about, but I don't think you need an extra pitcher just for that. So when I was watching the um, the game last week that Porcello pitched, I think it was just uh, what was that Wednesday Wednesday night that he pitched. Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday he pitched. Um, it just it's striking how he can kind of teeter between having pinpoint control and just missing spots terribly. Uh, I've, I've almost never seen anything like it because we've talked about this at length um, when Porcello's great, how amazing it is that he just hits every spot. But for the first couple innings of that game, it, it looked like the same Porcello that you know went nine innings, whatever it was, like two months ago and – pitched one of the better games that we've seen from any Red Sox starter, and then he just missed spots and gets hammered. So uh, he's a guy I can't quite figure out because he's not bad Porcello, and he's not Cy Porcello this year. He's, like, completely half and half. Yeah, he's off and on. I'm uh, I'm really interested to see how he pitches this weekend because he's been – I mean, I I didn't see well, I didn't see Tuesday's game, so I don't really want to say he was really good. I mean, like you said, he kind of started missing spots towards the end, but I mean, he still only allowed one run to a good team. Um, and then his last good start again before that was a great start against the Phillies, another good team. And his last good start against that was that Yankee start. And those are the last three of the last four times he's faced a good team. He's pitched really well. Maybe he's just, like, psyching himself up for the big starts. So if he can do that again against Houston, I don't want to say I'd be, like, super confident in him in the playoffs or anything, but I'd at least, like, hold out a little hope that he could give you something really good. And right now I don't really have that kind of hope. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I, I can't disagree with that. I, I agree. He did get blown up by the Indians, though, so that should be mentioned. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get from him, but – uh. For some reason, I always end up trusting him a little bit more than than I should, and I think it's because of those great starts that he has. But um, I mean, there's no one else you're gonna roll with. He's he's the guy, right? There's he's. I mean, he has to be a fourth best starter. Yeah. I I don't disagree with you that he would be the number three starter. Split up the lefties. I think that could make sense. I guess depending on how the first two games go. But um, 
I think there's no question he's the fourth best, no matter what order you put him in. So one of the things that we did agree on with this roster, because we agreed on most everything else, um, but Rafael Devers, we got to talk about his role because that has really come into question lately with how well Nunez has been playing in his absence. And I think just the importance that Nunez has to the ball club and the clubhouse and the respect that he carries. And there's just Nunez is great for the ball club in, in all aspects. But what do you see Devers' role as? Um, because he hasn't been really what we expected him to be with the bat this year. He's been up and down with the defense. The range really hasn't been an issue. It's been the throws. He doesn't always set his feet. Uh, I don't know if you caught this a couple weeks ago, Matt, but there was a, a Wade Boggs a commentary on uh, Devers' defense. And uh, basically Boggs, you know, didn't win a gold glove till he was with the Yankees, like late, late in his career. And he was a pretty subpar defender. But he basically broke down some film on Devers and diagnosed some of the things that he does wrong. And essentially, Devers has a cannon arm but kind of rushes himself a lot of the time. Um, so it's tough to see him coming in late in games, even as a, as a bat off the bench, because Nunez has been steadier there. So I'm not sure exactly what where you'd play him, you know? I'm, I don't... I don't totally uh, write off the possibility of him starting, depending on how this last month goes. Um, I'm, I don't know how much time I'm going to have tomorrow. I might write about this for tomorrow. I might save it. But I think it comes down to who has the hot hand between Devers and Nunez. Um, because as much as Devers' defense is frustrating, I think it's also a little overblown because he makes some really good plays too. Um and if his bat is going, it's better than Nunez's, even with Nunez hitting so well. Yeah. So, I mean, right now there's no question that Nunez would get the start if the playoffs started tomorrow. But if Devers – Devers is going to get a chance to play down the stretch because Core is going to rest everybody. And if Devers starts getting hot and Nunez cools off a little bit going in, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Devers pick up at least some playoff starts. And then uh, that's another reason why you might want somebody like Lynn – or Phillips on the roster as like a late game defensive guy. Yeah, I guess that would help you better use Devers if you do decide to go Nunez first. Well, I I, almost... Then I, at that point, I just think Devers is like a straight up pinch hitter for like Leon or something. Right. I I almost feel better with the idea of Devers going first though, with Devers being the guy who you see how he's reacting throughout the game, see how his at bats are, because you're right. I mean, the potential for him is turning on an Araldus Chapman fastball that no one can turn on. Um, and the the downside is a guy who's not engaged and has bad at-bats, right? So why not roll with that guy first? Well, I think you want the player you think is going to do best to start the game. And so if Nunez is playing better, I would want him starting because you don't want to fall behind early either. I know this team comes back a lot, but playoffs is a different beast, and you want your best lineup out there every time. So, I mean, I think it, go, it all comes down to whoever's playing best at that given moment. If you had to take a guess right now, which way do you think they're leaning? Nunez. Yeah, I agree. That's how I think it's going to go, but you're right. That there's a lot of baseball pick. left, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's only September 6th? Yeah, 7th? 6th. Yeah. yeah. 6th as we record this, 7th as you guys listen to it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to talk about Phillips. Um, Phillips made kind of a bold choice. He decided when he could have left the team to stay with the Red Sox, you know, keep grinding down at Pawtucket. He finally got his at-bats uh, up here and, and made a lot out of them in that crazy game you were talking about. Um, but even before that, he had been hitting pretty well in the minors for a while. He looks good. He's 37 years old. He's always been a good hitter. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was pretty much a consistent five-win player for the prime of his career every single season. So how much do you think's left in this guy's tank? There's more than I kind of anticipated there being at this point. Yeah, I still don't know. I mean, I think he could have played in the majors this year. Um, it seems pretty clear that his goal was to win a ring. Like, he's 37 years old. He's clearly towards the end of his career. 
Um, he probably didn't have any everyday roles offered to him, but he probably had some bench roles and he passed them up to kind of, first of all, to skip spring training and all that and skip the cold months, which if you're a veteran and you can get away with that, God bless you. <laughs> but, and then you go and he could have opted out with the Red Sox, like you said, but I think he's, I mean, he said that he recognizes that there's something special going here on here and uh, he wanted to be a part of it. And I mean, at, when he didn't opt out, when, um, they traded for Kinsler. I think it was pretty clear that they were always going to call him up. And he was going to get a chance to win a ring just by being on the September roster. So I don't know. I'm not expecting a ton in terms of him at the plate. I think it'll be fine, not like a total zero, but I don't think. I would assume that that last game is going to be his high point, which is a pretty great high point. But uh, I think more than anything else, he's just going to be an awesome guy to have in the clubhouse and a fun guy to root for. I don't know. The more we talk, the more I talk myself into uh, going back to that 11 pitchers, getting rid of Johnson and throwing him on the uh, roster. I could see it. I mean, I yeah. thought, like, when people started, as soon as Phillips hit that home run, people started talking about him on the playoff roster. And my first reaction was, like, that's absurd. But, I mean, the more I think about it, I don't know. I might prefer Lynn, but it's not crazy to think Phillips could have a role there. Just think about situationally, though. Let's just say, you know, game five, game four, something like that. Big situation. You get a call guy up off the bench to have a key at bat. Well, I don't know that either of those guys are going to be. But if you get to that point, wouldn't you feel more comfortable with Phillips? Sure, but I don't think that roster spot is you have pitch hitting in mind. I mean, I think Steve Pierce, whoever's not playing out of Devers and Nunez, uh, even Swihart and Holt are probably going to get the call before that roster spot. True. You'll get no argument from me about Swihart. He should get every pinch hitting opportunity. This guy's a monster. He'll get plenty. Oh, he actually, Cora said he's probably going to be the pinch runner. So, Isn't it interesting? He He's a pretty damn good base runner. I, knew, I mean, I knew he was athletic. I just didn't realize yeah, how good he is. I don't really is. feel great about him being that role. I feel like they should have done better than that, but. I guess he can survive. I was I was hoping for like a Quentin Berry type, yeah, just straight up track star. Yeah, those guys are fun, but uh, yeah. gonna have to go with a catcher of all things. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, all right, so AL East is it done? It's done, right? Yeah, for all intents and purposes, yeah. I'm not gonna give. I mean, I'm not gonna give the canned answer that oh, it's never over. It's so it's over. It's over. Right. We can we can worry about it was over when the Red Sox picked up a game with that lineup they tried out the other night. Because <laughs> people were saying that oh they shouldn't be doing this before they clinched the division and then they won and the Yankees got smoked. And that pretty much ended that. Yeah, I mean it feels like the coffin's been half covered with dirt for a while here now, and I think that win was just kind of the last toss if there if there's anything left it's just it's a little it's an anthill worth of dirt we need to push on that coffin but it seems like it's it's pretty well wrapped up and it's hard to imagine houston who's coming in today as as this podcast comes out uh really giving the red sox any challenge for that record either um and i think the sneaky thing about houston and we're about to kind of preview that series a little bit is this lineup which was historically great last year has been a shell of itself this year. I mean, it's been a good lineup, but it's not been it's not been that Houston lineup that we were talking about. And I think when you really dig into the numbers, there's no question this Red Sox lineup has been better up and down for the entire season. Yeah. Um, the Astros have had a lot of injuries, and they finally get everyone healthy, and they're kind of clicking. Bregman's been uh, an absolute madman for like the last month or so. Um, that top four still terrifies me. I don't think they are like top to bottom as scary as they were last year, but I'm every bit as scared of that top four as I was last year, for sure. Even if those guys aren't having the same season, I still believe that they have every bit as much talent as they did last year. Interesting. I don't know. I uh, I guess I would disagree there. I'd push back a little bit. I think that so many things happened last year, so many breaks happened, and then guys like Marwin Gonzalez, who just had... I'm only talking about the top four. 
No, I, I got you about the top four, but just like I, I think I'm with you on the top four. Like those those guys are scary. The Springers and the Altuves and, and those types of guys. Yeah, they're they're scary and they're going to be good. But the length that that lineup had last year versus this year is just not there. I think oh, they absolutely. had so many guys have career seasons. For sure, they have a better rotation this year though. Yeah, that rotation is ridiculous. Yeah. Morton comes back this weekend. He's going to be starting the game starting on Saturday. Saturday. Um, but he's coming off a shoulder issue. Um, but outside of Morton, who's been awesome this year when he's been healthy, he's been healthy most of the year, they have two legitimate Cy Young candidates who are going to be probably favored over Chris Sale at this point with how much time he's missed in Verlander and Cole. Yeah, and Keiko, who hasn't really been great. Like, he hasn't been as good as we've seen him, but I mean, for a lot of the year, he was their number five starter, and he's been pretty good for that, for that label, at least. Which uh, which Cy Young winner do you prefer out of Keiko and Porcello? Uh, Keiko. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I think I think Keiko's got a higher ceiling as well. Um, yeah. But what are you going to be looking for as this series happens? Because... Uh, there are some interesting matchups. I'm actually going to be at the game on Saturday when uh, Morton's going. What are you, uh, Mr. Moneybags? How are you at all these games? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I've been very lucky this year to uh, to be be at a bunch of these. But, you know uh, the last Red Sox game I went to? Uh, no. Joe Kelly started against John Danks. Jesus. And I went with Ben Carsley. What a gem. <laughs> yeah. And the company to boot. Wow. I know. It was awful. It was an awful day. <laughs> Uh, nice. Yeah, so th- we're actually going to celebrate with uh, my, my father-in-law, so it should be a good time. Nice. Um, and uh, going with my brother-in-law, so it's a little bit of a family outing, but, uh, you know, I, it's going to be an interesting start. I think that might be... Which one are you going to? The the Saturday game, the Morton-Eddie uh, Rodriguez, right? Yeah. Yeah, I th- yeah, that'll be fun. It'll be an interesting one. I, I think it'll be a good test to see how Eddie performs against a really good lineup and whether or not Morton looks right. Yeah, I I guess I'm looking to see how the pitchers go. I don't really think that we're going to learn a whole lot a whole lot about this series just because September baseball, especially the Red Sox having essentially clinched and they're kind of playing with one eye towards October. Cora has said that he wants to put the pressure on the Astros. That was uh, Houston's strategy at the end of last year when they kind of went all out against the Red Sox to make sure, to try and get them to pitch sale in the last game. He kind of wants to make sure that the Astros have to play all year to hold off the A's. But at the same time, I mean, Cora's been resting guys all year, and I don't think that's going to stop in this series. So I don't know how much we're going to learn about the lineup. I am interested to see how Price, Rodriguez, and Porcello pitch, but... Other than that, I'm not really putting a whole lot of stock into this this weekend. So let me ask you if you're interested in this, though, which I think is one of the more interesting things about this Red Sox lineup. They've been the best team in baseball by far, hitting 95-plus mile-an-hour fastballs. In all of the uh, starters that we just talked about, um, Verlander, Cole, uh, Morton, they're going to miss Verlander in the series, I believe, but... uh, yeah, they're getting uh, Cole, Morton, and Keiko. So Cole and Morton, those guys throw high 90s with a shitload of spin. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Red Sox fare against those guys. It will be, but I don't know. Like if they – whatever they do against Cole on Friday, for example, is not – I'm not going to just like assume that's what's going to happen if they face him in the playoffs. You know? Like right. I'm – I'm excited to watch it because it's two really good baseball teams, but I don't really think it's going to tell me anything about what would happen if they meet in October. All right, so we'll end on this for the preview. Which Houston player, uh, position one position, one pitcher, are you most looking forward to watching since it's a team we don't get to see a whole lot of? Uh, definitely Bregman, the position players. And... Uh... You know what? I'm going to go out of the box with pitcher. I'm going to say Hector Rendon, Rendon, because he's been, like, sneakily unbelievable this year, and I haven't really watched him, so I don't really understand how it's happening, so I'm kind of interested in seeing how that's happening. Was that a middle relief pick? 
Uh, he's been he was closing for them for a long time. Okay. Before Osuna got the gig, but yeah, no, I mean he well he was good for the Cubs and then he fell off for a couple of years and he just like reemerged and I don't really understand it. I was gonna say that would be a, a very on brand pick for you, Matt. Well, I've seen their starters enough to like. Obviously, I'm I'm interested in seeing them, but I I I see it enough. I'm I'm really interested in seeing big sexy uh, Cole over there. I just love the idea of. Uh, him leaving Pittsburgh and becoming like this great pitcher and he's kind of kept it up all year which has been shocking to me and a legitimate Cy Young contender so it's going to be interesting to see see him um I want to talk about some minors things before we get to um listener questions here um I believe it was Alex Spear recently wrote a really interesting article about one of the um the new uh players that was drafted um Brandon Howlett, who was taken in the 21st round. He's a third baseman uh, by the Red Sox, and uh, he had a really good first season uh, in the minor leagues. 39 games, uh, he hit 307, 405, 526 with five home runs and 15 second, uh, 15 doubles. Um, pretty impressive stuff from a guy who was drafted all the way down at the 21st round. Uh, have you heard or seen anything about Howlett? Yeah, he's uh that that twenty first round is misleading, um, because he signed for pretty well above slot. He was a high school guy that uh, fell for signability, and they ended up getting him. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's super talented. Um, he's definitely a guy to watch next year. And what's really interesting is that he's probably the third best third base prospect out of that draft because uh, Tristan Casas. And Nicholas Northcutt, another high school guy picked later, who uh, got a big bonus, are also third basemen. So I don't really know what their plan is with those guys, if they just transition Costas to first base right away, if they put Powlett down and extended for a little bit and start him in low again. I'm not really sure, but uh, there's from I didn't see him play, but from what I have heard, there is a lot of upside there, um, definitely a lot of raw talent. There's a lot of development needed, but he's got power. He's They got a lot of those power guys, so it's going to be exciting watching this draft class come up. Yeah, Northcutt was the sexy name that they got in the 11th uh, round and that they were able to kind of sign with some of that money that they saved on seniors, um, which everybody liked, and he performed really well for the first part of the, the minor league season when he came up. He kind of struggled at the end, but do you think that there's going to be a legitimate debate between who, you know, the, the team prefers out of Howlett and Northcutt? Is the talent that close, really, between those two? Um, maybe a little bit. I mean, I think those two, well, they're clearly a tier below Costas. I don't think there's any question about that, but I would assume that if Costas isn't a factor... Like, if they put him at first base or something, Northcutt and Howlett, which they kind of did already, they would just rotate between DH and third base. Like, you can make it work. The Sea Dogs did it with Dalbeck and Chavis. Uh, two guys, you can make it work pretty easily. You don't have to make that decision based on a couple months after being drafted. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's some people in the organization that prefer Howlett to Northcutt, but... Presumably Northcutt has a lot more supporters. I mean, he was he was like a legit prospect coming to the draft, like nationally. He was a big time name. Yeah, that was a great sign. It's it's nice to see the the farm start to get some more of these interesting players. So definitely definitely good stuff there. Uh, what's not so good though is uh, the success at the minor league affiliates this year for the Red Sox wasn't great. Uh, every team finished below 500 except the GCL team. Uh, I really thought that your boys, the loyal spinners, were going to pull it out. They finished just a game below uh, 500. And then uh, the team that we all thought was going to be the good affiliate for the Red Sox this year with that sick rotation uh, up in Salem ended up really disappointing as well. So uh, not a great year for the farm. Not on a team level. And... I mean, I think minor league teams winning is more important than people kind of give it credit for, just to kind of build that winning culture and get players, like, used to expecting to win and all that. But, I mean, there were some 
good stretches for every team. Um, I think Greenville had a really interesting season. I think that was a level that I expected to be garbage most of the year, and they were really exciting. They kind of had the rotation that Salem was expected to have. What are you going to say? Didn't they, um, if I remember correctly, didn't Greenville kind of bomb the first half of the season and have a good second half? Or, or vice yeah, they versa? played. I can't remember. No, they played well in the second half. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they had Danny Reyes, um, Cutter Crawford, Jonathan Diaz, and Emmanuel De Jesus. That was a really good rotation that was kind of underrated all year. But, yeah, I mean, there's no, there was no level that really stood out. And that's kind of disappointing, especially because – Nobody got to play in the playoffs, so the season just kind of ended abruptly. But ultimately, I think this minor league season, it wasn't great, but there was enough to be excited about that it wasn't like a total disaster. Well, you've got to feel good at least that uh, next year, a lot of these really interesting players should spend the majority or at least some of their time at Portland. So Portland should be a more interesting Sea Dogs are going to be fun. They've been so bad the last two years since I moved up here. So, yeah, I'm excited. Next year should be a lot of fun for Portland. All right, Rusni Castillo. we got to mention him. He won the International League batting title. I don't know if you saw this, so I, I won't ask you if you saw it, but do you know who the uh, other Red Sox player to win the International League batting title before him was? Uh, I have no idea. Sam Travis? I don't know. It's a long time ago. I, then I definitely don't know. Wade Boggs. Jeez. Got to go all the way back to Boggs for a Red Sox guy who won the International That's pretty League crazy. title. Yeah. Um, Boggs batted like 330 that year or something like that, which he pretty much did every year. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it sucks that this guy's in baseball purgatory. Uh, it's such a bummer. Yeah. I just – I think he could – could be interesting and i'm not you know i i saw enough bad castillo when he was up that i'm not a hundred percent that he's not a quad a guy but it seems like the adjustments that he's made are real and it seems like scouts like what he's doing uh i'm just i'm just feeling bad for we'll never guy. know i mean that's the worst part i think like gun to my head i would say there's like less than a 50 percent chance of him being like an effective even major league role player but the fact that we'll never know because even by the time he's out of this contract, it's going to be like so – he's going to be past his prime at that point. And it's just – and I'm so sick of people being like, oh, well, look at all the money he's made. He's not upset. Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, you know what it's like for like to work that hard your entire life and just not even get that chance? Like, yeah, the money's great. But still, he's always – he's going to spend the rest of his life wondering, like, what would have happened. That's, it's a bummer. I don't know. It just sucks. Yeah, it is. I, I hope that something happens where he gets gets out of this and gets to play, but doesn't look uh, doesn't look like. I just don't, I don't see the path. I don't know how it happens. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I've never felt so bad for a many 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 multimillionaire. Yeah, right. It's just yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's the big question for you. I've been kind of burying the lead here. Maybe I could have led with this, but um, why didn't the Red Sox bring up Travis Lakins? That was the guy who we all were convinced was going to be added to the 40 yeah. man and would be kind of interesting and maybe one of the one of the solves for this bullpen. So what the hell? I have no idea. It makes no sense to me. Um, the only thing I can think of, and I don't think it's a good reason, but I guess if they saw something that makes them think that he wasn't ready for this and they didn't want to like totally shatter his confidence – by having him go out here and get rocked in September, I guess. But I just, I don't know. He should be here. I think it's crazy that, and I mean, they don't have an open 40-man spot, but Tony Renda, I mean, thanks for what he did. He came up and he scored a winning run in the Yankees game, but there's no reason for him to be on the 40-man. No. So I don't really understand it. The only thing I could think of is, is potentially fatigue, but... I mean, there were no signs, right? He pitched well all the way through, and if he is fatigued, whatever, then don't pitch him. Right. Like, he's going to be on the 40-man next year. There's no harm in just doing it now. And Tony Renda's not playing a he Tony Renda's not even up. Right. And it's not like you're going to be hurting for that depth next year because you have Marco Hernandez 
hopefully coming back and Espan Carreau's serving as some depth and Dustin Petrolio hopefully being healthy. You have guys to fill a Tony Render role. I don't know. I don't understand it. I, it's bizarre to me that he's not up. Yeah, that was one of the stranger decisions. Uh, let's get to some listener questions. Uh, so our guest last week, Matt Corey, has our first listener question. He says, which team is the biggest threat to the Red Sox winning the World Series? Uh, Matt, what do you think? Um, I I feel like I have to say the Astros. They're just so good. But, I mean, the AL is so good that maybe it makes more sense to pick an NL team that you think is like going to breeze through that side of the bracket, but I don't think that team exists. So I think it has to be the Astros. The team that I don't want to play the most out of any team in the American League in the playoffs is the Oakland Athletics. I am scared shitless of that team. There's just, like, some swag about that club. There is great defense. The bullpen is, I think, the best in the American League. I don't care about the Yankees' bullpen. I think the A's is better. Um, I don't want to play them. That's the team. Yeah, that's fair. I think every team in the American League is terrifying. <laughs> they are. They're all great. Um, next question. Eric Silva. He says, is it time for the Red Sox to retire number zero? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I love this question. Um, yeah. One thing. Do you know how he got the number zero? Did you hear that? I heard he asked the equipment manager for the weirdest number that he had available. Absolutely. Yeah. And that they didn't give him number 69 is so... It's awful. Nobody's ever won 69 for the Red Sox. Yeah. And it's it could have been a chance. If anybody could do it, it would be him. It would be Brandon Phillips, absolutely. Yeah. Mike Teague has our next question. He says, how will the Red Sox address the catcher position in the postseason? Will they keep all three? Is Leon's recent complete ineptitude at the plate worth keeping on the roster for the relationship he has with the staff? And do you like the offensive replacement uh, Swihart for Leon late in games? And then we have a follow-up to that, which is, and for that matter, the bullpen, what is the strategy? So let's tackle some of the parts of that. Um, we're both in agreement that they're not going to keep all three catchers on the playoff roster, right? I don't know if that's for sure. Um, but, like, that's what I we I think there's a think. chance. I Right now I would guess that, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if it happened. Um, that's one of the things. Like, I, that one of that last roster spot, that I was talking about it wouldn't totally shock me if Vasquez got that spot if he plays well in September I don't really know what why they would do that but they like Vasquez so it wouldn't totally shock me I just am not convinced Vasquez's bat is better than Leon's putrid bat like I think they both have terrible bats I think Vasquez is a better hitter yeah I think I think I buy Vasquez his performance last year than most people do what do you think about their effects on the bullpen? Would they be hesitant to bring Swihart in for Leon late in games, or do you think they feel comfortable having everybody in the bullpen throw to Swihart late in the game? It seems like they're comfortable with it because they've done it a lot, so I don't know why they would change now. It's not like Swihart is like... I mean, the bullpen has pitched poorly of late, but I don't think any reasonable person would put that on Swihart. I don't think he's done anything to deserve not to get that chance. Yeah, Matt and I talked about this. I mean, the defense has been better than either of us expected. The blocking, the framing, everything's been better than we expected. Pop times are elite. Throwing arms awesome. Uh, there's no no real issues I've seen with Swihart, which makes me feel like having three guys is redundant. Um, Red Sox in brief uh, says... Uh, how do you feel about Stephen Wright in relief to mess with opposing hitters' timing, legitimate postseason weapons? So this kind of touches on what we were discussing already uh, with these guys, and uh, we're both a little horrified, but I think we're both kind of in on this, right? I mean, I don't see a better option. If yeah. you want to say that's me being in on it, sure. I mean, you'd rather have him than Thornburg, right? Yeah, as of right now. I wouldn't. Like, there's so much time left in the season. Like, if Florenberg just went bananas for the next month, which I don't think is going to happen, I'd probably change my tune. But right now, I would say right. Okay. Uh, Vinny asks us to rank the bullpen arms you trust from most to least. Matt, go for it. How many are we doing? Uh, let's say five. Five. All right. Well, Kimbrel Barnes, 
Um, I'm assuming Evaldi is not part of this. Uh, I guess not. Not yet. All right. Kimbrel Barnes, Brazier. Oh man, it's rough after that. <laughs> I what guess. Henry. Yeah, I've kind of. That's your getting, boy. Yeah, I'm getting worried about my boy. I'm. He's definitely in my top five. I might get Workman then Hembry, and I don't feel great about anything really after that top three. But I think Evaldi slides in there too. He becomes a reliever. Okay, I'm going to go full recency bias on this. I'm going to go Brazier, Kelly, Kimbrell, That's Barnes, absurd. Hembry. That is absurd. Kimbrell number third, come on. Kimbrell can't throw a strike get when real. he needs to, man. Get real. Telling you, it's gonna come back that's to the, bite us. That's in the, the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Hey, he's uh, he's my new David Price. You've said a lot of things on this podcast <laughs> that have like <laughs> flabbergasted me. I I think that took the cake. I didn't even hear who else he said. I just heard Kimbo there. And <laughs> I blacked out. Yeah, you blacked out after that. That's legit. I'll drive him to the airport if uh, he goes somewhere else next year because I know that he's gonna cost this team the playoffs. Is there a question about the off season? Ah, uh, there is. Yeah. I'll save, it. I'll save it for that. Okay. Uh, Will Wickwist asks us, what is the role of Devers on the playoff roster, assuming he and Nooney are both healthy? Uh, we kind of tackled that in full, right? Yeah, I think my position is you just ride the hot hand. Yeah, hard to disagree with that. Uh, Scott Rotenberry says, has Brazier passed Barnes as the primary setup man? I think this is clearly no because of how we have seen Cora treat Brazier, even though he's been maybe the most consistent reliever over the last two months. I feel like Brazier's been not as good lately, but I think he might have just had one bad outing that I'm remembering. I don't know. I think Barnes is still the primary set of man. I don't really know if that's going to change. Brazier hasn't been as good, but he only had like one really bad outing, so. He still pitches ahead in the count all the time, which is something I just love. Barnes about. has been throwing strikes, which is why I'm not super worried about Barnes. Just because when Matt Barnes usually goes bad, it's just because he can't find the zone. And now he's just giving up hard contact, which I think might just be a fatigue thing. He just needs to get some rest. Do you think there's anything to that whole deal with uh, him still throwing the ball fast, but with less spin than usual? Uh, I... I've never heard that, so maybe this yeah. is new. I think that's something I read that one of the uh, analytics guys for the Red Sox was telling Barnes that basically his spin rate on his fastball isn't what it was. Is that fatigue? I could yeah see that being fatigue. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm thinking. Um, Matthew Kitson asks our next question. He says, "What's the percentage chance Brandon Phillips finds his way onto the postseason roster? What would you put it at?" You know, when I first saw this question, I was going to say, like, two. But the more I think about it, a 33. Which wow. is probably too high. Like I said, I just watched him hit a crazy walk-off home run. I'm, gonna so I'm, go, not, I'm not liable for anything I say right now. I'm going to go 20. I'm going to I'm gonna go back to, uh, back to reality after my uh, Kimbrel thing. Uh, Boston Sports Talk asks our next question. He says, if BP makes the playoff roster... Who gets dropped? Well, I guess we're looking at your hypothetical roster. It would yeah. be Johnson. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that that's the most logical guy because I think I'd prefer Wright to Johnson at this point. Yeah, and Johnson would be – you wouldn't have any lefties, but I don't really see Johnson as a guy that you send up to get – sorry, send out to get out a big lefty. So. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Uh, Mike Toomey asks our next question. Is Benintendi uh, going to be all the things we were told Trot Nixon would be? You know, I'm I'm like partially offended by this question. I think Trot Nixon was great. Like, Trot had some really solid seasons. He's the original dirt dog. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if Mike intended to knock Trot, but I'm feeling a little defensive of Trot right now. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what his prospect status was. I don't know anything like that. But like every other person my age, I'm 27. Uh, Trot Nixon was my favorite player growing up. So I'm also a little offended by this. Trot played right, too. You know, Benny's been in left his whole career. Yeah. I uh, 
if he's Trot Nixon, I probably expect a little more than that, but I wouldn't be like totally upset. I think Benny's uh, prospect pedigree is uh, way. I think the tools are just yeah. way ahead of what what Trot Nixon was. I don't. I my recollection, and I have like you, I have. Hey, no he was clue. a number thirteen prospect in baseball. Was he? Point. Wow. Yeah, Baseball America after he was drafted. I just remember the hit tool. For I mean, not the hit. Tool, I guess he was like, also drafted seventh overall, so that's probably where the comparison comes from. Yeah, I don't know. I just never, I never saw Trot as a pure hitter the way that Benny is a pure hitter. Yeah, I didn't really think about baseball in those terms when I was watching Trot Dixon, but yeah. I thought he was a rat as hell. I'll say that. <laughs> totally agree there. Uh, like, too bad we didn't have a certified old like Brian on to answer <laughs> that question for us. Uh, Leonardo Pereira asks our next question. He says, how does all of this time off affect sales game and his shot at a Cy Young? Uh, this is actually the next thing I'm going to be writing is uh, assessing the AL Cy Young uh, snapshot. So I will answer it more in depth there, but uh, I think it affects it quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if it will affect his game. I, I kind of think he's going to come right in and, and deal when he's healthy. Um, but Cy Young's very much in question at this point. Yeah, I don't think there's any chance he wants to Cy Young at this point. Yeah. I don't know who's going to win. I haven't really looked. I kind of feel like Edwin Diaz is going to get a lot of love. But, you know, Kluber's, uh, Kluber's got 18 wins now, I want to say. 17 or 18 wins and uh, sub-3 ERA again for like the millionth year in a row. Could yeah, be. like I said, I haven't yeah. looked. I just know Diaz is but like bananas. Yeah, he is good. There's always a closer that like sneaks their way into the conversation. Gagne. Yeah. Uh, Edward Davis asks our next question: potential off-season targets. There it is. <laughs> um, it's that's actually not about. I'm if we assume that Kimbrel is going, uh, I think they're going to get Herrera. He's a free agent. They obviously wanted him at the deadline, and there's going to be no draft the conversation for him so that would be i haven't really thought about the offseason too much but i've always kind of assumed that he's going to be a big target for them i'm not really interested in Herrera, to be honest but um i think they'll say i was interested i said it was yeah that's true that's true um does a a guy named uh bryce harper interest you at all i don't think it's gonna happen what do you think about that guy though he plays some baseball he does i don't think it's gonna happen I don't think they're going to spend like that this year. $900 million or whatever he's going to get. I don't know. That contract's got to be in question now with the season he had. He just uh, He's on pace to have his second worst season of his career. Like It's going to be a middling season. It's like a sub-two war season right now. It's not he's great. Gonna he's no. going to get paid yeah, he's going to get paid, but, like, are we talking he's going to get Trout money, or is he going to get, like, no, new... he was never going to get Trout. What's he going to get? Because Trout signed for, like, 180. He really undersold oh. himself. Oh, you mean, like, Trout's action? Yeah, oh, like, uh, Trout action. Harper will get, Harper will get 200. You, so you, you're you not buying the whole, like, crazy 500 million, 400 million thing? No, I mean, if he went, like, crazy this year and, like, had an MVP caliber season, I could have seen it. But uh, he'll probably get, I don't know, 250, something like that. I could see 250. I don't know that he's – I don't think he'll reach 300. I think he's going to have a lot of opt-outs too. So if he doesn't have opt-outs, it'll get higher. I don't know, man. Dude's going to be rich. This is like trade packages. I don't, I don't want to do this. <laughs> uh, last one here comes from Andre Luis Martins. And uh, he asks us to give a shout-out to Red Sox fans in Brazil. And he says, go Sox. Yeah, I didn't know we had a bunch of Red Sox fans in Brazil. Uh, it's awesome. I know the Sox are a global brand. So thank you for listening to the podcast and continue to tune in. And uh, when you ask for Matt Corey, we deliver, as you can see. So uh, when we come down to Rio, you got to treat us right. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be down in Rio. I will <laughs> burn to death, but I'll be there. Yeah, that'd be uh That'd be something. A little TM trip. Uh, okay, well, thank you all for listening to the podcast. Uh, this has been a little bit of a long one, but I think a good one. So um, if you enjoyed it, please go on and rate and review us. Uh, again, we've gotten some great ratings from all of you over the course of the season. We really appreciate that. 
So uh, keep doing that all the way to the end. Stay strong just like the Sox. Uh, and follow us. Uh, follow the Over the Monster account for all your latest Red Sox news at, at Over the Monster. Follow Matt at, at Matt R.Y. Collins. And follow me at, at Dev Jake. Uh, this has been the Red Seat Podcast. And uh, Matt, thanks very much. Thank you.